Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon, they'll bend your ears with reckless self-abandon. The amazing spider talk, the amazing spider talk, come swing through the air, sit back and prepare for the amazing spider. Hello, I'm Dapper Dan Gavostin, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count. And I'm mischievous Mark Giannacchio, and I too own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, but the annuals don't count, although you know it does count, Dan. I got this really snazzy Steve Dicko variant cover of this issue that we're about to talk about right now. And I think that should count because that thing, it's really fun to look at. Okay. So just putting that out really there. It is really cool. Okay. Yeah, that's the one that's got the annual number one like spread from the back of that issue uh, on the cover. Right. But it's on a cover of regular Amazing Spider-Man. So even if it's art from an annual... It totally counts, okay? <laughs> oh, look at you and your ninjutsu <laughs> tactics. I, but I almost got you there. I almost got you admi- to admit that an annual counts. Um, well, so here close. we go, everybody. <laughs> yes, so close. Well, welcome, everybody, to the Amazing Spider Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. Thanks for joining us for this review episode of the Amazing Spider Talk. What's Yeah, if you want to swing along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present, and future, subscribe to Amazing Spider Talk on your favorite podcast app. Every other week, we put out a mainline episode of our flagship show, and sprinkled in between, we review new comics as well as interview some of the greatest Spider-Man creators of yesterday and today. This is the perfect time to start listening. I mean, literally, it's a new era of comics, Dan. This is a great time to start listening. Yeah, Mark, so tell us about the comic we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, as, as I've hyped multiple times, you and I are going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, number 75, or uh, 876, which is entitled Beyond Chapter 1. This issue was written by Zeb Wells, with pencils and inks by Patrick Gleason, colors by Marcio Menez, a cover by Arthur Adams and Alejandro Sanchez, and letters by VCs Joe Caramanga. There are also a couple of backups, including Love and Monsters, written by Kelly Thompson, with art by Travel Foreman and colors by Jim Campbell, Campbell, excuse me, and Kafka, written by Zeb Wells, with art by Ivan Fiorelli and colors by Edgar Delgado. So this issue was first released on October 6, 2021. Dan, let me start by saying thanks for being flexible and apologies for not doing this on our usual weekend schedule when it first came out, but we'll, we'll make up for it with the speedy turnaround of our next issue, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sounds good. And, and And we're trying something a little bit different this time with these reviews. We kind of want to get into the reviews a little bit quicker and, and 
focus less on recapping the events of these comics. So what we're going to do from here on out, unless you guys hate this, we're going to do a brief summary of what happens in the issue to get started and then get into things that we really want to talk about. So hopefully this will make our conversations a little bit quicker and more exciting and get to the meat of the topics that we really want to discuss. Okay. So let's start this off into new era. It's a new era of reviews. So we're trying something new out here. So let's talk about what happens in this issue of amazing Spider-Man. So dreaming of a memory, Peter comes face to face with a faceless uncle Ben who forces him to confront himself and the trauma that he suffered in the wake of Harry's death. Moments later, after seeking respite, Peter encounters a new Spider-Man who ties him up. This is later revealed to be Ben Riley, back in New York City and working for the Beyond organization, who have bought the Spider-Man brand from Otto Octavius. He doesn't need Peter's approval to be Spider-Man, as he asserts that it's his life, too. Back at the Beyond Tower, Janine waits for Ben, when Marcus steps in and redirects Ben to get radiation shielding before heading out. At MJ's apartment, she's upset when she learns that Ben is back in town. Peter ducks out on her after she pressures him about dealing with his trauma, and instead he heads to ESU to fight the UFOs alongside Ben. But when Peter and Ben are blasted by a radio-volatile explosion, Ben's shielded armor allows him to survive as Peter collapses from radiation sickness. All in all, a pretty fun first issue of this Beyond era. Mark, like on first blush, how did this first issue of this new rotating run of uh, of writers hit you? Probably if you go back three plus years to when we looked at the first issue of the last one, I said something similar, but this really just felt like a breath of fresh air. It felt like we were going in a new direction. The comic was, dare I say, fun. And, you know, I, I've had multiple conversations with people coming off of the heels of, of the last run into this one. And, you know, the, the point I kept saying over and over again is I just want fun Spider-Man stories again. And this, you know, at least through, you know, this chapter and, you know, is setting up for something fun. I mean, you know, like, yeah, there's there's drama and there's stakes and there's mystery, but it doesn't seem to be, you know, shrouded in this cloud of you know, of, of those things that maybe kind of dragged down what preceded it. So, you know, I'm excited. And, and, you know, when we first talked about beyond months ago, Dan, I was like, ah, it's probably not going to be for me, but like this, 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 this has me invested, I would say for a first issue. Yeah. And I, I, for me, I think the rumors of Peter's demise were greatly exaggerated. We'll talk about the next issue, but like, to me, this is still a book that's very much about Peter in the way that Superior was. And as a brief diversion, I, I, this has me really excited. You know, uh, first and foremost being the format of it, that we're getting 19 issues declared in this issue itself. Only 19. That was originally planned to be 18, but they wanted to add an extra issue in there so that they could make sure that the story had room to breathe. And to me, that's the most exciting part about all of this, is just like, Hey, like they already seem like they know the story that they're going to tell. And to me that projects confidence and maybe it allows them to just kind of be a little bit looser about this whole thing. We, we can go back and forth and certainly we can, we'll, we'll have a better perspective on it at the end of those 19 issues about, you know, the preferred format for long form storytelling. Is it, you know, having one creative 
team that, you know, kind of works almost indefinitely in serial fashion until either they get a new gig or they kind of run their course? Or is it to kind of have these like set parameters with multiple creators kind of swapping in and out while they work on other stuff? I still maintain you, you, you and me both that brand new day as a, as a concept work as, as, you know, it, it was good storytelling. I mean, you could talk about what preceded it and what came after it, but brand new day itself was a lot of fun and told good stories. And, and this, again, as a first chapter kind of sets a similar tone in, in what it's going to be. And, and, you know, like I, I, after the last three years of, you know, the constant, yarn spinning of 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 stories i I, having something so predetermined i think is going to be really refreshing and and you know you kind of just know where it's going to end finally you don't know what's going to happen but you know something's going to happen in that time yeah (laughs) yeah exactly so let's talk about the kind of transition from you know this nick spencer era into this era i mean what are some of the things that they decide to hold over and what are some of the things that they kind of let go I'm I'm looking at your notes here and 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 you want to get into that. It's funny, you know, so you know, one of the big things that, you know, I I I thought was really done effectively here in this issue was kind of communicating not just the stakes for Peter but kind of the consequences of his actions, which, you know, is kind of funny because, you know, for for multiple years we kept hearing about Peter having to pay for his sins. And then, you know, at the end of the day, we never actually found out what those sins were. <laughs> Whereas here, you know, we're not we're not saying he's got to pay for his sins. But frankly, the the the, the previous actions or maybe even inactions of Peter are, 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 are coming home to roost immediately. I mean, you, you, you mentioned that opening sequence with, you know, Peter's dream with Uncle Ben and the faceless Uncle Ben and that kind of leading to the nightmare of, I'm not processing the death of Harry Osborne. So, you know, like, like right on the onset, we are carrying immediately over from the Nick Spencer era and acknowledging Harry's death and kind of giving it weight. But like, you know, it, it acknowledges the consequences of that of of that run without getting into the kindred of it all, which is, you know, as we had said many times is what frankly kind of dragged that story down. It's good to kind of you know, immediately remind people of the consequences and the stakes that came out of that era and, and really honing in um, what that means for Peter and how he's going to interpret it and what, what he's going to do with it. I really enjoyed this kind of like thematic storytelling with, with this opening, because even, even when you do see Ben, you know, who you can scarcely identify because it's such a horrific image, but he's covered in spiders and you know, this issue, you really see that Peter uses Spider-Man to escape from his life and dealing with trauma as as usual. He even says it explicitly in the monologue that, you know, he doesn't want to meet, deal with Randy or any of the things in his life. He's going to go swing around town. And I think like just setting up the chapter and the story that they're telling here, it seems like there's a lot to like thematically dig into in this story. You know, MJ calls out Peter for not, you know, not dealing with all of his pain and internalizing it. And that's kind of reflective of how like uncle Ben appears. Like it's beginning to eat away at like his memories and, and, and pieces of him. But then you've got the kind of external version of that, which is Peter then suffering intense internal health damage, which I think we'll see play out in the next issue, you know, a bit more. And to me, it suggests that this story is going to be a little bit about Peter, both healing his body and mind 
uh, at the same time. I, I thought this was a, a cool way to uh, externalize it or uh, however you want to say, you know, holding on to that really important element from the Kindred story. It, it's Harry's death. Even if it didn't land for us, it should for the character. And I'm okay forgetting Kindred, but, you know, allowing that pain to motivate the next thing. Yeah. And, and what you what you just said there is key. I mean, like, yeah, it didn't land for us, but it's it's clearly landing for the character here. And they're going to they're, they're going to make stories out of that. And I appreciate that. I mean, like, you know, frankly, I was kind of, you know, thinking back upon rereading this issue. And I was saying, like, yeah, you know, like I still I, it's still kind of hard to accept for me, you know, after the last how many years it was since Harry returned that, you know, what we were basically told was, oh, he's a clone. And, you know, like he's, you know, he's gone, even though it felt like the sacrifice in the moment kind of felt shallow and whatnot. But like, you know what? Like, like you said, this is like, how would Peter react to the death of his best friend? And that, and, and, and that's what we're getting here. They're not getting into the the minutiae or the details of what happened to Harry. It's just Harry dead, Peter Peter not dealing. And I think that's that's more than enough. The other thing in terms of consequences and stakes uh, that we got from Peter in this issue, and this was a surprise, like this was a pleasant surprise because I mean, you know, from the onset, it was like, why is Ben Riley back and what is he doing with the Beyond Corporation? And we can talk later about whether or not that answer is that was truly answered but you know they 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 throw in this line that like you know that peter lo- essentially lost the the patent for spider-man because this was something when when otto octavius was spider-man as superior spider-man he kind of you know he 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 put it up for sale basically and it's like and it, you know peter is even like oh of course that's something otto would do and you're like yeah like Otto did a lot of really screwed up stuff as Spider-Man during the Superior <laughs> Spider-Man era. And we never got we never got the payoff of that. Like, like even in volume three, like we talked about this constantly. Like, how do you have this entire run of comics of Otto of you know Spider-Man's mortal enemy operating as Spider-Man and never actually deal with the ramifications of the fact that he like destroyed his alliances, destroyed his social relationships, put his his property up for sale, got a doctorate. I mean, you know, the doctor. <laughs> it was the one thing they dealt with and but like everything else just felt like it got brushed under the rug so it, it, to me that was kind of I, I i gotta admit i had a, a very wry smile on my face when that line came up and i was like okay i'm glad that we're we're, we're still mining the the damage that Otto did from that period because you know frankly there's a lot to mine from it that was was never mined in the immediate aftermath of it so kudos to that the line for me that made me chuckle the most in terms of like looking backwards is where Peter just admits I wasn't a very good businessman. And <laughs> like that really worked for me because it's like, okay, like, you know, it, it's hard to, we, we always talk about how hard it might be to move past these things, but all you need is a line that just kind of pokes fun at it a little bit. And it's like ready to move on, you know, like, okay, yeah, I was a bad businessman. Great. I mean, whatever. That's enough for me. And it's not going to be enough for everybody, but it was it was enough for me. But what made all this really work for me the most is that like Peter's characterization and monologuing like we everybody who's listened to this show knows how big I am on harping on the Peter monologuing thing. And to me, this was just a warm welcome embrace, you know, like I just being welcomed back into Peter's mind. Every page was overflowing with Peter monologues and in, and unique insights into his character. 
to me, this felt like a writer in Zeb Wells that really gets Peter Parker and how to write him. It to me it kind of almost harkened back to Roger Stern's interpretation of of the character, the, including the jokes. You know, they're corny, but they're still funny. And you know, Peter has all these kind of like little things that he's worked out in his mind. I, I like all of that. There's this great bit where he is trying to escape his room, and he talks about all the catty corners that the, the buildings that allow him to swing and climb effectively, and how that like is a great way for his mind to escape. And that's the kind of like confident storytelling that I don't think we've gotten in a, in a long time. It's personal. It's like deeply personal and the book is just spending time on it. And boy, in terms of pacing, that made me really excited that like, w- we don't feel the need to rush somewhere. We can just spend, you know, full pages on how Peter's mind is. And I think especially for the story they're telling here, that was really wonderful. So I, I really appreciated all of the internal monologuing here. It felt, I went back to the comic book store today and they asked me like, what'd you think of beyond at one? And I said, it read like a Spider-Man comic. And I, I don't know, can't really say that I've read it many issues recently that feel like I'm reading a Spider-Man comic. So I don't know for whatever that's worth. It, it felt familiar and friendly to me. You know, I don't want to make this whole episode like, well, back in Spencer's run, but like, I mean, to do it one more time, at least, you know, like even when we were in Peter's head, I felt there was a passivity to it. Whereas or the here, omniscience. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and here I feel like, like you said, it, there, it, there's just more confidence in it. Like he can this. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're obviously biased here, but like to me, Peter is an interesting character. I mean, we, 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 we read Spider-Man because we, we want to read Peter, you know, and like having him just kind of give these little insights and jokes and, you know, like there's an edginess here, you know, he's not like a, like, he's not like a total jerk, but you know, he's got a little bit of an edge to him. And, and, you know, when Ben Riley comes in, then that kind of gets the, the ante gets up even more. And, and like, you know, so like, these aren't like choir boys, but like, they're not bad people either and and like you just want to read about them like you 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 want to spend time with these people in in you know in in your brains and in their brains and and i think that came came across very very assertively in in how his inner monologue was was conveyed in this issue i'm very curious to see if we do get ben inner monologue because at this point he's still kind of being kept at a distance right we have scenes with him but we're not really given insights into Ben's mind quite yet, as similar as it might be to Peter's. I like that you said that he wasn't quite jerky, but there's like an assertiveness. Like what I enjoyed was seeing Peter as like a dominant personality here. Like even when he gets tripped up, he's like assertive and he's confident. The bit in the restaurant where he sees the thief trying to like steal money, like tip money off the table. Like that's not needed for the story. That character's never coming back. But it was a, a a character beat that really sold Peter to me. Like, of course he would be that goody two-shoes guy that's policing someone in, in the restaurant because he's been at this for so long. He's confident. It was such a, just such a wonderful beat that had nothing to do with plot and everything to do with character. And boy, it, that felt so good to just see on a page. We really didn't get inside his head yet, but at the same token, like, I like, 
I like reading this ver- version of Ben that we got so far. Like, I mean, like to me, I know that Ben has kind of gone on a journey the past few years. I mean, from from the clone conspiracy to Spider Geddon to now. So, you know, it's kind of hard to track which iteration of the character we're getting. But like, you know, and, and, and frankly, I think it was. Do, you know, because of the variances in the character over the characterization over the last few years, that was part of what added into my hesitance of this whole premise of the beyond and Ben kind of wearing the webs again. Totally you know, fair. Yeah, but like, you know, he he comes on the he comes on the page here, and like I said, he's he's an edgier Peter. There's there's still enough Peter there where it's like, okay, you know, like I can see this. You know, his whole thing, like, I'm not asking, you know, (laughs) like to be you, you know, this is not a negotiation, but like, it also like, it's also not a threat. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's, he's asserting his dominance in in his own way. I mean, he's, he's as much Peter as Peter is. We've kind of, you know, like, and we'll get into this when we talk about 76, but it's a very interesting point. I mean, like, you know, this is, this was, this was always kind of. I felt the heart of the clone saga and what worked about it, which was the, this idea that, you know, do, do, do both of these characters have a certain right to this mantle? You know, not that it was perfect. It wasn't perfect. But I, I felt that there was enough here to get me to be interested in Ben, to not quite like him, but not dislike him. I don't know. What did you, what did you think of Ben here? My big question about this was going into it, it felt like this was like out of nowhere editorial insertion, you know, like we're doing this story now as much as I enjoy reading Ben on the page as you're describing him. It's like, why are we doing this with Ben? But I appreciated that Peter felt the same way. He's kind of like taken aback at Ben's sudden appearance. And that made it feel more natural to me. I was like, Oh, okay. You know, I, I, I was totally okay with that. And to your point about them being like him being as much Peter as Peter is, I really love that they played a ton with them being the same person in this issue. Like when Peter shows up late to the crime scene with the UFOs and he makes the same joke that Ben had made like 30 seconds earlier <laughs> that we didn't get to see. I thought that was brilliant. And there is a certain uh, kind of even unspoken understanding that there's the same person between them that like doesn't allow it to get, like you said, to like a level of, threat or drama Peter like in his very essence is like well that's fair you know like he he gets it even if Ben is coming at him in a pretty aggressive way although you know to that point of them being the same person I still kind of can't get over the fact that they can show up at like public together and it's just like well I got blonde hair so we we're, we're clearly not like twins or different people or anything like you know what i mean like <laughs> yeah. it's a little that that point will always remain far-fetched but you can go all the way back to like 1996 and th- where that was born out of so you know like let's 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 let that lie i guess now dan I do we like the whole brothers angle i've always liked that about ben like peter found a brother in himself in a weird way i, I don't know how i feel about that like uh in terms of like mental health, but right. okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We could we could page Dr. Freud on that one. Now, Dan, we knew that Patrick Leeson, you know, was gonna star quite a bit during this run. I mean, he's even gonna write a few issues. Now he's on he's on pencils here. What 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 did you think of the artwork and how that t- told the story in in this in this comic? I mean, I think this is his best work yet. I feel like I say that every time I read a new issue from him. The combination of him. And Marcio Menez 
is like a, a, it's it's like a perfect pairing. I mean, there's that image, you know, speaking of them looking similar, you know, there's that image where Peter meets Ben out of costume for the first time and they're just standing there looking at each other. And it's a beautiful image. I mean, not only in terms of how Gleason designed each of the characters, right? Ben has got that kind of like big quaff of beautifully combed, like almost like 1960s, 1970s Peter haircut. And like, you know, our modern Peter has got that kind of Andrew Garfield scruff kind of thing going on. You know, you get a lot of so much character out of how they're dressed, how they're standing. And then Menez's colors with the, like the dappling of light with the leaves on them. It's so beautiful. And I mean, that's just to say the illustration, but then the visual pacing and storytelling, I think is top notch, especially in that restaurant scene where you've got them kind of playing off of each other. The expressions are hilarious. I love Peter with his kind of like rabbit ears thing. And, but like the way he shifts the panels around to suggest who is in power at any moment and uses screen direction, which is kind of like a movie trope. But like, I, I don't know. I think this guy is maybe in the top three people working in, in superhero comics. And just to see him handle in and out of costume in this issue, I, I thought it was stunning uh, how much flexibility this guy has. What, what did you think of his work? It was a visually very arresting comic. The The cinematic nature of it is something that, frankly, we, you know, even with some of the artwork that I've liked over the last few years, we just haven't gotten work like that. I mean, maybe, maybe since, since like, Stuart Eminen. I was about to say since Stuart Eminen. It's just such a welcome addition. I mean, like Gleason is very clearly part of the storytelling team in this in this era here and I, and I know like well yes of course the artist is a storyteller but like I I he's he re- it really feels like he's driving the narrative here in a way that I don't know we've had artists do since like you said the end of the slot run when Stuart Eminem was doing it so you know it was very 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 awesome to see and and like you know this guy's totally up for it and I can't wait to see when he starts writing too because I have a feeling it's going to be really good stuff this guy's a great storyteller I mean, like, but even just like looking on the page, like there's that one image when he shows up at ESU and he's like all hunched over and creepy looking. And it's like, oh man, his Spider-Man has like that range. He can be big, bold and heroic, but he can also be like incredibly creepy and almost villainous looking. I think that also comes back in the second issue of this story. I I don't know. I, I, I don't have enough praise for the whole art team on this book. It was a stunner, a great way to kick off this era. Well, Mark, if people want to talk more about this with other people like you and me, like where might they do that? I would imagine that they would want to be hanging out in the Slack, Dan. That's right. Hundreds of listeners like you hang out in our community of Spider-Man fans on Slack. The amazing Spider-Slack community is absolutely free to join and you can jump into active conversations with awesome people about collecting, conventions, movies, new comics, old comics, and more. Yeah, and this was an awesome week to be in the Slack, you know, especially as we all got hyped about the start of the Beyond Era and Spider-Man. I mean, I think we had to even come up with new rules in the spoiler section about how we did it because you'd log in and there'd be like a hundred new comments. So people were really jazzed about this and talking and excited to be talking about this new era. So yeah, come join us. If you want to um, 
be a part of our community. Just follow the link in the description and be sure to say hi. And uh, once you're there, let us know what you thought of this episode. Well, we'd love to hear more from you all who tune into our show each week. All right, Dan, I have a few more things I wanted to bring up about this issue, if I may. <laughs> I, you may. You may. All right. All right. Well, you know, so, you know, again, kind of one of the other big shifts that I noticed uh, in this comic was related to the Beyond Corp. Uh, is it Beyond Corp or Beyond Company? Beyond. We'll just call them Beyond right now. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and the way I phrase this in our notes here, and I'll, I'll, I'll just read it verbatim here, is it's mysterious villains without it being a mystery villain. And by that, I mean like, okay, clearly there is something up with Beyond. Like, you know, they're, they're, like, why are they so invested in having a new Spider-Man, having it be, be Ben Riley. You know, there's things like the, you know, like getting, getting Ben into his radiation suit. And then of course there's a radiation attack at the end of the issue that endangers Peter and not Ben. And you're saying to yourself, okay, there's, there's something sketch going on here. There, these guys are, are, you know, there's, there's clearly some evil at play here, but it's not, it's not a mystery in the way of the mystery villain of like, okay, someone needs to pull a mask off at, you know, at some point and reveal who they are. Like you just, you know, something is wrong and you know, and, and, but there's a feeling like as the story goes on, you're going to find out why they're wrong versus like, just like you're, you're not as caught up with the who, who, what is this? Who is this? You know? And, and you know, like, look, this is not even just a knock on kindred. I mean, like, you know, we're going to eventually talk about one of the big mystery villains of all time in Spider-Man history uh, in our season and with the Hobgoblin. And it's like, you know, look through the panels of the annals of history here with this character. And more often than not, these these mystery villains, you know, who's under the hood, it just ends up being a letdown. And, you know, like, I think something like this, it, it's a more straightforward threat, but like you still don't know all the details at the onset. I think it's it's just a little more tenable and you know people don't get more caught up in the mystery as much as the just writing the story out a little bit am i am i you know is this just me having post-traumatic stress from kindred or what <laughs> i mean you may be suffering from that i i can't say for sure i i agree with you and i also don't think that this mystery is going to be sustained for all of that long like because i'm not playing with us in any way like these people are clearly coded to be not good people, you know, like the way that they're like coercing Janine from the start, you know, and, and Ben, like there's something going on here. And I, I expect we're going to learn about it like relatively quickly, you know, uh, based on how the story seems to be structured so far. But yeah, they definitely have foreknowledge of what would have kept Ben safe there. Uh, whether that means that they're like, they hired the UFOs, right? Like I've seen people say like maybe they're hiring villains so they can, you know, rack up money from the government to like, you know, have people pay them to send Spider-Man out to deal with these things, which is a story I feel like we've seen before, you know, it sounds like a J. Jonah Jameson scheme, you know, or, or if they had like the Peter was just a random casualty, but it does seem directed so that's interesting to me. I don't know. Have you read Agents of of uh, Next Wave Agents of Hate? That was Warren Ellis, right? Or yeah, just, and Stuart yeah. Eminem. Yeah, yeah. I I I might have read some of it, and it just didn't work for me, so I stopped reading. But yeah, I know some people love it. <laughs> it took a little bit of warming for me to really get into it, but beyond it, really starts there, and 
they like to kind of like muck about in the multiverse. Like they're, they're like not even necessarily for like any good reason other than they like to kind of like muck about with things, which is kind of in the MO of like the whole agents of hate thing. It's just kind of a silly comic. So like, I don't know if the multiverse is going to be involved here or anything like that, but they do seem to have some weird foreknowledge, whether they're creating these problems or they're using the multiverse to read them. You know, there's something going on here and, I think it's so it's fun so far and it seems like it's a pretty like obvious connection. So I I don't expect them to like dangle this one in front of us for too long. We know from the onset, this is going to be 19 issues. I mean, you know, and they added a 19th to to kind of satisfy the story, but like, I don't want to take anything away from the great long-term creative runs that not just Spider-Man comics have had, but all comics have had, but you know, like, I don't know, like we, we might have to sometimes take into account the, 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 the times, the character, the context, the editorial office and, and see, you know, what the strengths are for that. And, you know, this this might be a better aligned approach, given all of those factors for Spider-Man right now. Yeah, maybe Spider-Man isn't due for a creator driven run, you know, with this with this team. Like there's a certain amount of like ego that goes into something like that. And maybe like making it truly egoless and, and a team approach, which is counter to the character. Um, but may, maybe that's the way to move ahead, you know, like uh, avoiding these like master planner things, you know, like I, I don't know that we Spider-Man needs its Jonathan Hickman. I just don't know that that approach is appropriate for something like this. I, I'll say that. And then. And when this is done, I'll be the first to champion some like big name person coming on the book. So who am I, who am I to say? But if I yeah, if I ahead. did have I was to say if I did have one kind of knock on the book and, and, and I don't even know if I'd call it a knock. But like one thing I was kind of looking forward to get here was, you know, we didn't really outside of MJ and of course, Ben, we really didn't get much of a supporting cast check in on this issue. You know, you think like first. First issue of a new arc, new run, uh, new creative team, consortium, whatever you want to call them. You know, you, you, you think you might get like the, okay, this is where we're at with May. This is where we're at with Jonah. This is where we're at with Randy. And we, we didn't get that. It's one issue in, so plenty of time. But, you know, I, I, that, that would have given that, you know, you, you refer to this kind of like Roger Stern-esque in terms of the Peter narration. I feel like it would have been even more Stern or DeFalco-ish if we gotten those supporting cast check-ins a little more like assertively here. I hear that, but I think I'm more OK with it because I felt like introducing the world of, of Ben is, is a pretty huge thing to kind of bring in. And I felt like the scenes we got weren't perfunctory. Like they were all very like plot and character oriented. You know, we even checked in with Peter's school and how he's doing there. And all of that seemed, you know, you know, oriented around the character. And we get these issues where there's all these perfunctory check-ins on all these subplots and things that are going on. And to be honest, like if you got a story that's good enough and character oriented enough, I feel like those are oftentimes there to spackle over the stuff that's not really working, you know, and I was just hooked in to whatever yarn they were telling here with Ben's return. It, you know, it's not the biggest hook ever. It's not a superior setup, you know, but like I was just enjoying reading Peter so much that I was like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll leave that stuff for later. And I think reading the second issue of this, I was like, okay, like they are planning on, on del- delving into more of that. But, uh, but I hear you, I hear you. It would have been nice to see where everybody was at. 
but also you could you could make the argument thematically that Peter doesn't want to tangle with these people, you know, because he's trying to like bury himself a little bit. So there's that too. Yeah, we did get a little bit more into. You mentioned Ben's world with Janine. What did you think of how she was uh, brought forward here? Yeah, um, it's interesting because Beyond seems to be kind of like shaping Janine to be. I don't. I don't. Want, I don't know if it's like a sex pot or whatever, but like they're really commenting on her physical appearance and how they're manipulating, using her to manipulate Ben. And she seems almost to me, and this is not like for real. This is an in my head reading of this reading. felt a little bit to me, like a commentary on how like a poorly written MJ has been used, you know, like this Janine seems literally being designed to appeal to Ben. Whereas like the MJ in the story is there to push back on Peter's bad instincts. So Janine is like encouraging and wrapping Ben in further. Whereas MJ is like, let's take a pause and like figure out what's going on in your head. Uh, I think like that's the version of MJ that I prefer reading as opposed to the MJ that's just kind of there to like be there and look pretty. I wonder if beyond is using the the Parker's predilection towards redheads to kind of twist <laughs> uh, to twist him a little bit. You mean our I say both of us. <laughs> I was going to say I, I say that as co-hosts who <laughs> both are married to redheads. But yeah, there you go. We digress. We did get a couple of backups here. I mean, I did, it didn't leave a huge impression on me. But did, did you have any specific thoughts on the two backups? I thought the Love and Monsters one was like I didn't get it. Like, I wasn't sure what we were getting at here. I don't really know what Misty and Colleen have to do with Ben. I mean, maybe it's because I haven't read all of the Iron Man run yet that Misty and, and, and Ben are in. But I didn't get that connection. And even then at the end when he shows up and he's like, you guys ready to do some work? Like, in terms of selling me on buying that point B-E-Y issue. Oh, my God. I'm saying it already. Um, uh, <laughs> this didn't do much for me. I mean, I know they show up in the next issue, but I, their connection to all this seems very tangential to me. Yeah. And what about this Kafka one that, um, Zeb Wells wrote? I mean, that one's interesting, you know, at least we're beginning to kind of figure out what's going on with Max Dillon before he was just like kind of unceremoniously brought back. There's this implication that his like electricity carries memory in it. I don't know what the implications of that are, but the more interesting thing here is that like Kafka was, you know, being brought in to kind of um, wrangle Ben Riley, And there's that whole meme of like, like men would rather blank than go to therapy. And in this case, I think it's like Peter would rather Spider-Man than go to therapy. Here we're getting a Spider-Man that's actually going to therapy for the first time. And that might be interesting, except that Kafka seems like she's like, down to manipulate Ben. That's interesting to me at the very least. Although her haggling over like, like we don't call them clones or whatever. It was like, Kafka, I don't even remember what you are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially at this point, right? Yeah. <laughs> She's yeah. a clone, right? I mean, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's weird seeing her address clones when she's a clone herself, but maybe that was the commentary is that she's like, I'm a person too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So anyway. do, you, do, you, do you want to do grades? I mean, I know we changed this format, but do you, I think we can still do grades, Let's right? Let's still do grades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to get us started? Yeah, I'll, I'll get us started. And and I'm, I'm giving this a B plus. Um, that might, you know, some might say, well, it sounds like you really liked it. And I did. I, 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 you know, I did really like it. I just, you know, like, you know, just a few things that you know, didn't totally click, but like, 
I feel very optimistic about it. It's a very high B plus, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, this one's an A minus for me. You know, I, I think I'm in the same ballpark as you, Mark. And I might be doing this based on like nostalgia, like, oh, Peter's voice sounds so familiar. And I love reading Peter Parker. And maybe this issue wasn't really that significant in any other way. But I do think it's a really, really strongly written and illustrated issue of of this comic. Not any unforgettable moments, but just really great comics making. And I think that that uh, deserves to be highlighted in some way. That was a fun conversation, Mark. No doubt. All right. Well, do you want to tell us about our uh, Patreonic support, Dan? Yeah, of course. If if you find this show entertaining and valuable, please consider supporting us. It means the world to Mark and me. So, I mean, that might just be as simple as recommending the show to a friend because we always want to bring new people into our fold. But also, if you're able to become a member on our Patreon. Yeah, we can only bring you this content with the support of our Patreon members, and we owe the show's success to every single one of them. Uh, We are constantly making exclusive content for our members. Yeah, so why not take $3.99, the price of a new comic, although increasingly less so, and, (laughs) and, and put it towards a month's subscription to support the show and start receiving our Patreon content. That way you'll hear our Patreon exclusive review podcasts on every new issue of Amazing Spider-Man the very same week it comes out instead of waiting for it to arrive in our public podcast feed when it drops on Marvel Unlimited about three months later. And if you contribute $10 a month, you gain access to exclusive artwork from famous Spider-Man artists commissioned exclusively for our members. This season, we'll be mailing out a print by artist Ron Friends, who's created a lost page of The Kid Who Collects Spider-Man for us. This one was inked by Brett Breeding, depicting Tim and Spidey sharing laughs over Tim's Spider-Man comic collection. Plus, every episode, we release a new episode-specific desktop background created for us by artist Nick Cagnetti for our patrons to enjoy. But we know it's a hard time for everybody, as it is for us too, so we appreciate anyone who supports the show just by listening and sharing. But if you do have the means, uh, please join our Patreon and support the continued existence of our show. Just follow the link in the description. And again, a thank you to all the members who already make this show possible. We couldn't do it without you. Yes, Dan, but alas, it is that time, time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning in to this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, as always, this episode was edited by Rick Coast. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friends, Sal Buscema, and Ray Sumzer. And our theme songs were produced by Ryland Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider Madge. This episode was originally released on Patreon as a live stream hangout with us back when the comic was first released. So if you'd like to help support our show's continued existence and these reviews while joining us on the live stream, why not head over to our Patreon and sign up? So Mark, until your clone returns from amazing Spider Talk episodes past and quietly replaces you as my co-host, what's our motto? Wait, are you insinuating something? Am I? Dan, (laughs) it's me, Mark. Swear, honest to God. Uh Uh-huh. I'm on to you, whoever you are. All right, let's just end the show, okay? 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. With great podcasts, there must also come the amazing Spider Talk. my clone say that? I don't think so. I don't know about that, Mark. (laughs)